It's time for building the game. 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 Building and awesome special guest, Zoe Allred. How are y'all doing today? Konnichiwa. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hello. Hello. Zoe? Um, I'm doing pretty fine and dandy. I'm still Ooh. a little sore from Sky Zone. Sky Zone? <laughs> yeah. The trampoline place? Yeah, yeah, the trampoline park. My kid trampoline loves it. Trampoline dodgeball? I, we have uh, one they of those have here. One. I didn't realize that was like a big chain. Yeah, I have one. Yeah. I actually have one here too. What? Wait, no. Cool. Ours isn't called Sky Zone anymore. It got bought out. Now it's Airborne Adventure Park, which sounds really stupid. Whoa. Yeah. Sky Zone sky just kind of sums like it that. up. What yeah. zone are you in? I'm in the Sky Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Airborne Adventure Zone. Like, that just sounds dumb. Yeah. Airborne Adventure Zone sounds cool to me. I like that. Well, <laughs> sky I think park. that you march to the beat of a different drum, Zoe. I People have told me this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sympathize. I, uh, no, I think it's just, it's one of those things where, like, names, no matter what it's for, if it's often three, but definitely two, if it's two syllables, it's going to glue itself into your brain cells and you will never forget it. If it's yeah, more than yeah. three, forget about it. All yeah, done. I mean, it went from You're Sky Zone it. to Airborne Adventure Park. That's right. six. Yeah. That's it's... That, literally three times. And three That's times less cool, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That math checks out to me. <laughs> so it's also not a park it's not even a park it's no. indoors <laughs> okay I... so a park has to be outdoors jason that's the box you're gonna put a park in yeah this is some gatekeeping <laughs> <laughs> Gatekeeping parks. Can, you ex- can you explain to me a park that is indoors because i'm more than happy to be corrected about this possibly incorrect assumption you're making up here so um, we have, yes, in Boston, we have this thing called the Children's Museum that has a giant indoor park. Um, I don't, so my association is McDonald's. I don't know why, but McDonald's around here, like the ones out farther out, out of the city, have mm-hmm. these like big parks off to the side. And it's like, you know, big pl- maze of plastic cubes that children crawl in. And then there's a big slide at the end. You know what I mean? We, we would call those about? like, like a play zone or a play, play zone. something like that not a park yeah so we call those parks here and there mm, is one of like those a, in the children's like museum boston problem we're working into <laughs> food cube territory here oh no oh my god i hate i ha- zoe is doing this on purpose because i i hate the food cube the, the food the cube theory of food i hate it oh my god it makes me so mad and i can't even explain why Oh God! I think that <laughs> I think that uh, when you said the Children's Museum has an indoor park, what I expected was um, it to be like a fake outdoor park indoors. That's what I expected it to be. But I mean, I also understand there are like <laughs> skate parks that can be indoors. So yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I stand corrected. I still feel like I'm uncomfortable calling something a park. Unless it's outdoors, unless it's highly specific. Well, you and, know, every journey starts know. with a single step. And this time next year, you're going to be on our team. And it's going to be a beautiful journey. 
Yeah, this I is am very calling park. something inside a zone. Though Sky Zone, also a misnamer, <laughs> Sky Zone is in a building on the ground. Uh, when I hear Sky Zone, I think of like Sonic the Hedgehog. Like it's the Sky yeah. Zone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or it's World 5 in Super Mario Brothers 3 is the Sky Zone. Right, exactly. Yeah. Also known as the you're probably going to fall to your death zone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you will. Yeah. Well, unless you're one of the, you know, 90% of people that play that game the quote-unquote right way where you just get the two whistles and warp to world eight and skip everything in the middle Mm, mm -hmm. but i always defied that and i played through every single stage fairly never even used a cloud anyway i think we got a little off topic here (laughs) you think a little bit (laughs) speaking of topics why don't we talk about our topic do you want to uh, announce that for us here jamie absolutely yeah so um i've been reflecting a lot on people talking about how to get their games out Especially with, you know, there being so many games. And I've heard a number of people, friends, strangers, people in communities that I'm in, various people, um, talk about how you, like, in this day and age, with the two main plans being signed to a publisher or self-publish, there's just so much work in both now, and the competition is so, so fierce. Like, with self-publishing, it's like basically pre-sailing and you have so much work to do and you have to invest so much of your own money up front. And with pitching, you have to invest so much time and energy and effort and you do a ton of unpaid labor and in a lot of cases and all this other stuff. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I have been sort of cataloging in my mind all of the various different ways that you can get your game out there in front of other people and have them play it without doing these two main plans of self-publishing and pitching to publishers um and it kind of just really depends on what your goals are and what you are okay with compromising with like if you want to make it into target like your goal is big box not big box stores uh mass market stores then yes uh putting your game up on itch for free is not the way to do that but you know target's new itch.io zone (laughs) (laughs) itch.io park (laughs) Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we have our running bit for the episode now, and I'm here for it. <laughs> but yeah, basically, I just wanted to like run down all the different ways that we know about that people can get their game out there in front of other people that aren't those two plans that people feel like are the only ways to do it right now. Right, right. Yeah, no, and there, I mean, and both of those, like you said, are, are highly competitive, especially right now. Mm-hmm. There are a bajillion games at Kickstarter all the time. Yep. Um, and, you know, we've seen several friends go through the process with even bigger games, you know, like, you know, you could do a smaller game online uh, on a Kickstarter thing, you could do a bigger game, you know, and seeing somebody like Sabrina doing Diatoms, which is um, not like a huge game, but is a, you know, intricate enoughly, pr- intricately enough produced game, right, that it is has a lot of hurdles that you have to jump, which of course she has jumped uh, in great ways. Um, yeah. Doing awesome with it, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot. And continues know, and, to jump because it's yeah, a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, the pitching thing, I think that's getting harder and harder. Um, a competition mm-hmm. B the market can, you know, is oversaturated with games, with game ideas and designers. And I don't even mean that in a bad way. Like there's just only so much space to get stuff out there in traditional channels, right? I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. there's literally only so much space. Um, Right. And, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am with you on this. Do yeah. you have any initial thoughts on this? Um, I, I just feel like like this is like a good tie-in because you just mentioned diatoms and diatoms is like um doing something that I think is like sort of brand new for like screen top in particular. Yes. Um, like I feel yeah. like this is like a good segue into that. Um. So, like, uh, for those not in the know, ScreenTop GG is, like, a virtual, like, tabletop platform, and a lot of people use it for, like, um, playtesting designs. But um, they're looking at ways to, um, I guess, uh, tie themselves into sort of licensing and stuff like that. And I know Diatoms had a thing where if you kickstart it, you would get access to the ScreenTop demo. And Ooh. so that's this is, like, a new way that they're looking at, like integrating like uh like licensing and stuff for projects so this is like yeah. one avenue you can look at or if you are not a type of person who is looking to like profit off it you also just put your games on there and and allow people to play it on there um there are lots of yeah, the, virtual the platforms. monetization is optional which i think is really cool mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. It, it reminds me a lot of the Game Crafter system, which I'll touch on in a sec. But yeah, with ScreenTop, it's, uh, and if I understand it right, the way Sabrina's doing it is, it, it's sort of like the equivalent of a print-and-play, except it's digital, where you can pay a very modest amount of money, like, you know, $5. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a small amount of money, like it might be for a print-and-play. And what it does is give you a key that gives you permanent access to the full game on ScreenTop, so you can mm, just play mm -hmm. it on ScreenTop whenever you want. Um, instead, and I honestly, I think that print and plays are extremely cool, but I think that, you know, larger games struggle with it. Like I personally would not print out an entire print and play of a larger game at that point. I would just want all the components. Yeah, that's um, tough. I mean, making yeah. those components, getting those components for what you're going to pay for it, uh, for other than the, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the price of the game to put that together in a functional <laughs> way. I think it's true. And uh, and I'm a huge fan. So, like, one of the, like, overarching umbrella things that I feel really passionate about in terms of games is making them accessible. And I really love print-and-play versions of things being available for that accessibility. And I think mm -hmm. that this screen-top digital implementation is a really, really great next step in evolution of that. Um, in terms of upfront work i touched on the game crafter system so what i mean by that is you know game crafter is a platform where you can go a platform might not be the right word it's a website you can go and you can order spare parts you can upload your own stuff and you know get cool prototypes it's one of those prototyping services but you can also put your game up for sale and on the game crafter you're never gonna break the bank you're not going to sell a million copies of your game on the game crafter but this is right. an alternative model for selling your game to a few dozen people maybe uh mm -hmm. your friends and family some strangers perhaps if you're demoing at local cons you can you know have a a good looking professional version that you made yourself with minimal or not minimal much less effort on your part because the game crafter does the manufacturing for you. So you just have that inter that single interface and then you can sell it on their website for whatever profit margin you want. And, and that is another way to go about getting your game out in the world. And I think one of the huge benefits to a, a website like game crafter, obviously cost is cost savings to you in actually having to make the game is huge cost savings yeah. in selling it and making a profit, not as good. 
Right. Um, but it's print on demand, right? So yes. you don't have to worry about printing copies. You, if you want to print copies and take them to a local con, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also seen people take QR codes with them and sell copies by having people like, oh, I want this. Great. Scan this link and um, you can purchase it and get it sent to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think another big um, thing that's actually my favorite part about print-on-demand services um, like uh, Game Crafter and Blue Panther is that um, is that it will yeah it reduces the uh, like ecological impact right like because if you print like a thousand games like whether or not people buy them that's like a thousand games that will like realistically eventually end up in like a landfill of some sort (laughs) like um, Mm -hmm. if you do a print on demand and you only sell a hundred copies then that's only a hundred copies like um, the ecological impact will be shaped by exactly the amount of demand that there is for the game. And so yes. if you make weird experimental games, um, then this is like an incredible fit for you. So that's why I'm personally looking at print on demand <laughs> services because yeah. um, like, you know, uh, Amabelle uh, made a, um, has like a video YouTube video essay series. And she mentioned this as being one of the reasons they do the print on demand thing because of the capitalist incentives that go behind it like if you're forced to produce like thousands of copies of the game then you have to take on less risk to make sure that those thousand copies sell but if you're willing to make something experimental where you are willing to allow only like 50 or 150 like copies get printed on demand then then you are willing to make bigger risks in your design. So Yes, yes. And that's a huge thing that I think is really important. It goes back to the goals that you have, and that's something that I've been reflecting on a lot lately. Um, I can't recall how much I talked about this on the podcast, but 2023 was an extremely stressful year for me as a game designer, and I went to a bunch of conventions in a row where I did not have very much fun at all because... I had two games signed and I felt like I had to keep up that momentum and I had to pitch more games and I was pitching games that I my heart wasn't 100% in and I felt like I had to do this thing to keep up capitalist momentum and all this other good stuff. In 2024, I have a very different mindset and I am thinking again about what are the games that I want to make? And I've had a lot of conversations with publisher friends of mine, you know, because I am still pitching some games and some publishers are looking at games and I, I'm being asked a lot, like, what is your motivation for these design choices and all this other stuff? And I answer in one of two ways very frequently. It's my target audience is me. I want to love the game. And if I don't love the game, I don't want to put it out there. And then the second answer is one of my primary goals now is to design in spaces that I am less familiar with to push my boundaries as a designer and learn more. So people who have listened to me talk on the podcast know that I make a a million billion two-player competitive games, and I still love them and I still make them. But now I'm looking at things like games that require social deduction, which is something I am terrible at and you know, I'm trying to learn more about. So I'm in the thick of it, you know, bartering and trading games, uh, games that require three or more players, stuff like that. And I feel empowered to do that because of the thing that you just said about feeling like I can take more risks because I realize there's more than two ways to get a game out there. Uh, It just depends on like, you know, you just have to be realistic. You know, if you are on the Game Crafter plan, you're not going to sell a thousand copies of your game. 
and that's okay uh if it's okay with you you know so that is I mean, oh sorry i just one thing i want to quick throw out about the game crafter that zoe said that i, I want to push back just a little on i agree with you zoe that not making a thousand copies of a game reduces the ecological footprint of said game right Mm-hmm. But I mean, I do think it's important to remember that with a service like the Game Crafter, they are ordering bajillions of bits and stuff that may or may not mm-hmm. ever sell, right? So I mean, there is still there is still an overhead, an ecological overhead to it. You yeah. certainly are not adding to that. So I think that's on your part. I think that's fantastic. But I want to call out that a company like the Game Crafter, nothing against them, right? Every manufacturing right. company in the world is doing this, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But they still are, you know, especially with things like they've got the board game candy things and stuff where they've got these just a gajillion bits that you can buy. And mm-hmm. I support because I buy them. Um, but I do think it's, it's you know, it's worth noting that you're reducing your footprint, but not necessarily the footprint of the company. But I think yeah. it is a good goal to do that on our own. And it's not something I've thought about before in that way. And I really like that. I've more thought about like, Wow, if I buy a thousand copies of this and I sell a hundred, that's nine hundred copies in my house, right? Right. Um yeah. and uh and my family's like, Hey, that's that's taking up some space, dude. You wanna do something about that? <laughs> um yeah. so yeah, so anyways, but, yeah. um yeah. I just wanted to throw I, that out there. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, there's there's no like ethical consumption under capitalism, supply chains, yada yada. It's but true. like um absolutely yeah, true. You can you can minimize your personal like impact to some degree Mm -hmm. right like there's a difference between like ordering like a thousand copies of something overseas and having the it ship which also has its own ecological impact versus Mm -hmm. like printing something on demand and having that ship like where most of your like uh player base is going to be located yeah but yeah like i'm yeah it'll it'll depend on how how much you're willing to like shoulder, I suppose. Like I'm, yeah. I'm vegan. I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all weird here. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're on a podcast with Jamie. You're fine. Um, so it's cool that you touch on the, like, you know, freight versus shipping where most of your player base is. Back when I thought I was going to self-publish fight sequence because it was going to be my first kickstarted game, I extremely strongly considered and was probably going to do a US only or maybe US and Canada only campaign. So that way all of the shipping was domestic and I was going to look for a domestic printer. So that way I didn't have to spend my first campaign learning about overseas taxes and overseas freight and all you know how the the vat had just come out right around then i was like that's a whole additional thing that nobody understands let alone me uh so i want to not have to deal with that um and one thing i forgot to mention that i really like about the game crafter plan is you know we touched on this already you know jason talking about the 900 copies at home i really love the print on demand model (laughs) for removing the need to find a place to put those 900 games uh often it's not going to be in a house i mean you know i've heard a bunch of my friends who own houses it's like yes it's uh my entire garage is my board game now until i sell them all which again going back to the ethical consumption under capitalism you now have a responsibility to sell those 900 games which is you know capitalistic pressure on you which is not a vibe I want for myself, you know? Um, and that's one of the big reasons why I'm stepping away from self-publishing or stepped away from self-publishing. I'm pretty firmly cemented 
away from that for at least my like main like quote unquote bigger games i guess is a way to put it but uh that's a whole different thing anyway um going back to the storage it's you know there are plenty of people that can't fit 900 games in their house or don't have a garage uh i live in boston none of us have garages um because we are too poor for that we need to buy a five million dollar house to get a garage here uh so you look at where are you going to store it you know you're going to store it with quartermaster logistics and pay a fee every month uh that kind of stuff which is another yet another capitalistic incentive that you have like pressure on you to sell the games and something like a print-on-demand service removes that pressure, which I really like. It's at the cost of making less money per sale, which is the trade-off, but, you know, mm-hmm. pros and cons. Everything is pros and cons, and it's a matter of which ones you are comfortable with. So Absolutely. Th- That's a really good point. Should we talk about some of the different print-on-demand services? Yeah, I, you mentioned I know Blue free. Panther. I want to hear about Blue Panther. I've never heard of this. Yeah, Blue Panther is the company that does the printing for like all of Holland Spiel's games, mm-hmm. um, and um, and there was a period I, I've been trying to find print or multiple print-on-demand services just because I don't want to have uh, Game Crafter be my only option. Right. Um, which I mean, I I still love Game Crafter and I build most of my games around like their component like infrastructure, mm-hmm. which um, I have mixed thoughts on. But like there are other um, services like. Um, yeah, Blue I'm just Panther. always a fan of like having more than one option for anything. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to have a single point failure in your life. Um, mm-hmm. Blue Panther um, is nicer if you have bigger games because, like, um, if anybody's gotten Velociraptor, like that's like the smallest box they have, and that's why that somewhat oversized box for like 36 cards was like shipped. Like, <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So they're better for like if you have like larger games. Um, I've I found um, and if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, don't quote me on this. I think they like if your game uses a lot of cards, they get their cards from drive-through cards. Uh, mm. So like um, so if you're if you're making a more traditional board type game or like I think a lot of their history is in like making like war game type things, then mm-hmm. they would be like a better option for you. Drive-through cards, um, on the other hand, is better for like um, card games. <laughs> yeah, for cards, but, I would say, because yeah, that's but, literally the only thing they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I find that you have the thing that disappoints me about drive-through cards is that it seems like it has very little flexibility. Like mm-hmm. they have very specific like deck uh, tuck box sizes and such, and because of that, they require you to have a certain number of cards in their boxes or else your box might get like smashed in shipping or storage. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, and also they don't print like anything else, like not even rule books. So you would have to print your rules onto a card or they... So you can trick them, put them on a card. Yeah, yeah. There's a, <laughs> there's uh, a, the, um, uh, the QR rulebook plan, which has pros and cons. Yeah, yeah. I I really wish I could like have the rule book in the box with the game. I would much rather not have to have the players have to like look up the rules online. Yeah. Or print like they do provide like a template for like here's a template you could use to have people print out their own rules, trim it and then fold it into the box, which is cool, but like so I mean like this is sort of like an in between between like print and plays and like print on demand, right? Like yeah. there's like some element that 
is being offloaded onto the players. But um, and also, drive through cards also does have a service for hosting print uh, print and plays too. So mm. it's actually pretty fitting middle ground. That's so fair. yeah, yeah. So that's and there's an a, there's PNP Arcade if we're talking about uh, print and play websites. That is mm-hmm. what they do. Mm-hmm. PNP Arcade. Yeah. That is the place to go for print and plays. Um, I, much like the game, like I mentioned the Game Crafter and I didn't know other print-on-demand services, uh, PNP Arcade is the big name that I know in print-and-play games. I know there are others. I don't know what they are. Um, but PNP Arcade is the big one that I know of. Um, I also wanted to talk about handmade games you could just make your own game by hand uh Mm -hmm. i know of two people who have done that um one of them a mutual friend of ours matilda uh made turncoats by hand and now that's uh, gotten a little bigger (laughs) which is awesome yeah Um, it is but it started as a handmade game (laughs) yeah Yeah. um i also something that i just remembered because i I knew i was going to mention matilda at the start of the episode something i just remembered is uh at pax east Last year, I swung by the fantastic knickknackery booth, and they do a lot of, like, you know, cute little printed t-shirts and tea towels and all this other stuff. And it turns out the person who designs all those runs a D&D campaign and made a game for the players to play in the D&D campaign. So it's a, it's a game. It's called Frost Giant's Folly, and it is a three-player game, and it's made in a little stitched bag because she just happened to talk about it with the printers and the printers were like that's amazing we could make that if we do x and y and z and she was like uh okay cool so that's just one of the pieces of merch that she has is just a game in her catalog which i think is really neat um you know she's not making buku bucks off of it which is fine because she doesn't need to what she wants is to get her game in front of people which is very cool that's cool yeah it is pretty cool that you could just make the game yourself at home and just mail it to people. I've, yep. I have a mailing list and I technically mail the game to people on it. Like <laughs> you could just do that. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And that's, that's something I'm considering for my games too, is just like, you know, cause discord has monetization and I have basically ghosted my mailing list, uh, which is someday I might revive it, but discord is where I live. And something I've been strongly considering is just like having little one-time things you can buy where it's like, yeah, you can pay $2 and get permanent access to Elemistic online, like on screen top and get a print and play for the first set or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just do it through that and see how that goes. I mean, I can't do it with Elemistic because that one is signed, but, you know, other games of mine that I don't care about signing. Um, that's something that I've considered is just, you know, putting it in front of the people where the people are and not even worrying about advertising or, like, pointing someone to a different website or anything. Yeah, I think Patreon is, like, an underutilized resource in the game design space. Yeah. I think that's something that more people could use. I sometimes think about setting up one myself, but I have no idea what I would do with it. <laughs> yeah, I actually did set up a Patreon for a short while, and I immediately felt immense pressure to like put out monthly content, which is exactly yeah. the reason why I didn't want to do social media. So I switched to, uh, I always mispronounce this. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced, coffee or Ko-Fi? You know what I mean? The K O dash Yeah, Kofi. I I hear people say coffee, but I am with Zoe. It is Kofi. 
If it's it supposed to be coffee, then it should be uh, K-O-F-E-E. Uh, yeah. yeah, but okay. Okay. I always we're say all, Ko-Fi. We are all on the same page. We're going to say Ko-Fi. Great. Ko-Fi we're going to say Ko-Fi. And also it's GIF and not JIF. JIF is peanut butter. No, it's I definitely JIF. Okay, so so coffee. Uh, so Ko-Fi. So, uh, I saw this thing recently and they said, what? What if God came down to Earth and just was like, it's pronounced Jod, and then just left? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's the best answer to the to the gif gif argument. It's my favorite. Oh God, funny, Jod. funny. I think you mean oh Jod. Uh, oh, you got me. I'm exiled to the Jod zone. God Park. Uh, so, the John Adventure Park. The, John, the under under over John Adventureland Park theme. Um, so yes. Anyway, I used Kofi because Kofi you could just set up like one time payments, and that immediately removed the pressure of needing to make monthly content. Of course, that like my mailing list has been dormant for a year plus. Um, but in theory, I wanted to set it up where it's like, that could be a platform where I sell stickers and art prints and all the other stuff. Um, in fact, I think the artist for Fight Sequence does that on one of the platforms. I don't know if it's Patreon, but on some platforms, she has like hundreds of pieces of merch that's just all the different like make on demand sticker and t-shirt and art print and all this other stuff. So she just that that uploads. like red bubble red, or red, red bubble yes red, red bubble is what i'm looking at for my yeah. merch too there's a lot of d's and b's and i honestly sometimes can't tell the difference so that's fair case. i think it's a requirement that you need at least three total d's and or b's at minimum in order to have a print on demand site it does it does <laughs> feel like that yeah 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 outside of um, board game world of course yeah i uh i don't know i was gonna say something and it was gonna be smart it probably <laughs> oh. wasn't but um it probably was. <clears throat> oh, I set up a, a, a Ko-Fi and then just never published it. <laughs> so like, there it is. <laughs> never going to put it out there. Because I, right. I, like you, I didn't want to get roped into a monthly thing on Patreon. That's just... Every creative person I've seen, with the exception of probably Button Shy, is, and I'm exaggerating, but all the ones I tried to follow, who I tried to support via Patreon, very few of them actually put out stuff routinely. The yeah. only one I think I still do now is for a game I play. And by doing it monthly, you just get access to a beta test, beta zone and you get a bunch more stuff. So you just a get access park, to stuff earlier. Mean? Yeah, it's a beta park. Uh, it's it's <laughs> outdoors. Um, so, uh, so anyways, yeah, like it, uh, like that, they don't have to put on new content. They're already putting it out for the game. They're just saying, hey, once it's out of alpha, you get access to it sooner. Ta-da! Mm-hmm. Which beta really is just mass testing for them. Like it's just load testing. Like, is it going right. to cause a problem? And if it is, we'll tweak it before it goes live to everyone. So, um, but other than that, I mean, I've seen people running Patreons be like, you know what? We can't keep up with this. We're just going to stop. And I'm like, yeah, that fair. a lot. Super that fair. A lot. I I feel like. I feel like it should be more acceptable to have like a Patreon where you don't necessarily have to produce an output every single month. I agree. Where you're just sort of supporting this artist because you like their creative output, even if it's once a year. And well, I think yes. I think the the problem is that people feel like they have. I think you could absolutely set up a Patreon that way, and people who like you would support you. Right. I think mm-hmm. the problem is 
much like with Kickstarter, there are these unwritten rules that everyone assumes you have to follow. And because of yeah. that, when somebody sets up a Patreon, they say, oh, here's my monthly update, when really, you don't need to do that, right? Right, right. That's my thought. Yeah. Sorry, my voice exploded for a we second. We all just there. decided to pause and mute to call, so it's cool. <laughs> we could just cut that. <laughs> or leave it in. Keep it real. Um, yeah, and it's uh, that's a good point about Kickstarter. And that I realized I touched on it, but I didn't... I mean, I don't need to deep dive into it, but that's one of the things that I mean when I refer to, you know, the self-publishing and how tough it is. It's like, you know, there are these unwritten rules to follow, and you're going to get a lot of complaints if you don't follow them from all the super backers of like you need gameplay videos you need multiple reviews you need a good intro video that's a minute or less and you need to you know Did have you... put in all of this work and money up front in order to draw the crowd to back the game and then mass produce the game which you... is not always feasible or yeah. something people want to do I was going to say, you said super backers. I think you mispronounced super entitled people. Like, <laughs> sorry, I realized you just almost spit your drink out. Oh my God. No, oh, not, wow. not yeah. every backer is super entitled, but yeah, it does feel like there's a good amount of people who are like, oh, I'm very entitled to this I think Kickstarter I, campaign. I've... Oh yeah. I've yet to do a Kickstarter, but I think I think if I did and I set, met somebody who was in town like that, I would just be like, cancel your pledge. Yeah. Do it. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. care. I'm not doing whatever you asked me to do. My cancel favorite thing I, I've ever seen on Kickstarter, it was uh it was um James uh James Hudson, yeah, of Druid City games. Mm, um I love Druid City. And uh and somebody was like said something really crappy. And they were like, uh, hey, I canceled your uh, – hey, I went ahead and uh, I canceled your uh, pledge. I don't want your money. Uh, I will be canceling any future pledges you make at any of my games. Thank you. Like, nice. Oh, like, And wow. I was like, wow. You know what I mean? And if anyone else is going to get, like, mad about that, guess what? Those are the <laughs> same people you don't want back in your game. And they have enough backers yep. that they can get away with that. And. I think that if more companies did that, then less people would, would act that way. I agree. Um, because they don't want to oh, get sorry. banned, you know? Yeah, for sure. Did I ever tell you about the super straight playtesters I had for fight sequence one time? Wait, when you say super straight, do you mean... Like, toxic masculinity straight? Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> so, they, after... Like, they they were pretty rude during the game, and then afterwards they were complaining about how, you know, everyone was queer and there was a non-binary character. And I was like, this isn't a game for you. Please leave. I don't care. I don't want your money. This is not a game for you if you are uncomfortable with playing as a queer character, because that's this entire game, and there are plenty of other games you could play. Um, and I am fully prepared with the... I have, like, several canned responses to stuff like that ready to go mm -hmm. for if fight sequences ever on crowdfunding which i don't know who knows at this point if fight sequence like how it will manifest but it will at some point someday right. some way you know so i'm um we're talking about kickstarter here in this i just want to it's like i'm gonna do a kickstarter later this year um i've got uh, i haven't talked about it much on the show but i've been talking about it in discord a lot i've commissioned art 
uh, I hired somebody to help me with the rules uh, and did a bunch of stuff. So I'm, we're on track. I, um, you know, one of the big hoops is how do you get it printed? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, it's an 18 card game um, (gasps) in a specific box. And so because of that, I'm able to, uh, and it's build a fire, build it big. Uh, but, uh, so I'm able to, uh, work with a different publisher who already is using that form factor and they're going to help me get it printed, uh, overseas, mm. uh, and shipping it is super, super easy because it's so small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it fixes a lot of those issues and having a thousand copies, uh, that I think I can sell, um, is also not that big of a deal because it's one box. You know what I mean? It's not right. like a, a normal, you know case of 12 games it'll be the same size of that you know with um with that so but you know i'm trying to do something some different stuff with the kickstarter i'm trying to not have a bunch of stretch goals because i don't think that you know stretch goals are peer pressure um but one of the things i wanted to throw out there was we had talked about somebody made the suggestion of just put the rules online right oh yeah Um, oh that's something i have a lot of thoughts on but and i I have a lot I, i don't i think that if at all, unless you're doing something gimmicky, and I mean gimmicky in a respectful way, not in a negative way, to where you're like, it's a single card game, or it's, you know, like five cards, so literally there's no place for the rules, right? Great, mm-hmm. put a QR code and put the rules out there. It, if it's part of the game, I'm okay with that. I don't think that should be standard, uh, simply because mm-hmm. right now, that could be, that could stop someone from being able to play. Even if you have a smartphone, um, you don't always have connection, you don't always have Wi-Fi, Um so sometimes you just don't trust QR codes. You're right. like going to a link that you don't know. <laughs> right, right. I mean, in a game box, hopefully they didn't, you know, screw that up. But um, so, <laughs> so one of the things we're going to do um, <laughs> that my plan is to have one, um, my uh, my uh, plan is to have one stretch goal right now, uh, mm-hmm. and that stretch goal is going to be that. So the, the way the game works um, is, and I'm not going to explain how the game actually works, but the way the box of the game works is as you open the box, it's a hook box. So as it flips open, step by step, it walks you through the rules oh. of how to play the game. And by the time the box is fully open, you're now playing the game, right? I um, I remember you put that in the Discord and I immediately yeah. was like, look at Zoe's conviction. Yes, yes, that was you. Yes, thing. yeah, yeah. And that was mm-hmm. very helpful, Zoe. Thank you, uh, too, for letting me look at that. Um, and then, uh, so one of the things though, was for a stretch goal, my plan is, and I've got, uh, I have a friend who's a voiceover artist, uh, who's agreed to do it at a rate that I can afford, uh, essentially is, um, when you open the first thing, there's going to be a QR code that says, if you would prefer to have fully immersive rules, take this QR code and listen to them. Mm -hmm. And it's a voice actor walking you through the rules and, you know, playing a couple roles where there's conversation in the beginning that gets you oh, into the game. And I thought, what cool. a fun way to do that, right? Um, and we might add some sound effects, like maybe even like some sound of like fire sounds that could go throughout the game or something, you know, like um, that's kind of a hope of mine for a stretch goal. That's very and, cool. And that to me felt like a way to add something without adding anything to the game, like other than a QR code, right? Right. Um, and in the end, it's cheaper. And if there's ever a problem, we can we can just update it. We can just update the file and the QR code, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a thing or two about hosting files of audio. I do that sometimes. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, so for me, like that seemed like a really great way to use a more traditional method, i.e. Kickstarter, but use it in a way that is um, that is going against the grain of what the norm is, I think, for, like, I love weird stuff on Kickstarter. I think we need more weird mm-hmm. stuff on Kickstarter. For um, sure. And so, Fight the so yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways... Uh, that's kind of I my hope cool. for doing something different uh, that I think is pretty relevant to this conversation. So, Oh, for sure. And to throw that talking about hosting audio files, you could just put them on the Building the Game podcast website. That's, and have yeah, that's my, there. that's my that's my plan. Uh, and it'll just be hosted forever. Nice. So, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and that actually reminds me of what has been and remains my favorite Kickstarter campaign ever. It is for a game called Rift Force, which is still one of my favorite games. Rift Force's Kickstarter campaign, they did no stretch goals and no add-ons and no, um, there was only one, uh, there were two tiers. There were two tiers. It's get one copy of the game or get two copies of the game, and that was it. Uh, and they made a lot of money, and it was very cool. And they had this whole, like, several paragraph explanation of, like, you know, we know that there's a lot of campaigns that are trying to prey on FOMO. We're not trying to do that. We don't want to mm-hmm. do that. We just want to make a cool game and get you the cool game. And we don't want to compromise our vision of what the game, what the cool game is. So everyone just gets the same version. And we just are starting with all the fully upgraded stuff that you would see in other campaigns. Because that's yes. the game we want to make. Uh, and yes. their goal, I think, was something like $7,500 or $8,500. They made almost 50000 in the first campaign. And then the second campaign... Uh, the sec- the expansion was just straight to retail um, mm-hmm. because the first campaign was so successful that they just got picked up, which was cool. Yeah, I super respect that, you know, the idea yeah. of just saying, like, hey, no stretch goals. This is the game. This is what we're doing. Um, yep. It's either going to work or it's not. Um, and that's I what I want to do with fight sequence. Yeah, I think sure. it's super fantastic just because um, I, I I'm OK with games with FOMO. But like I, I get like I've said this before, like I think if you're doing a big crazy game and you're using, hey, the more people back this, the cooler stuff we can add. I'm okay with that because you signed up for that, right? When you go to back that, you know, you know. And I think just campaigns have to be super upfront and clear about it when they do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I know we we do have disagreements on that, and that's totally fine. But to me, the big thing is that you are for sure being upfront and honest about it because yeah changing it mid campaign and saying oh actually we are going to add stretch goals or you know that sort of thing i think is really really not cool um or yeah. getting people on saying like we're going to add a ton of cool stretch goals like i think one of the things i don't like is when people say like we're not going to tell you what any of the stretch goals are before you know like i think that i also and i do respect that companies don't want to tell you all the stretch goals because one you very well may, may not make them. Two, they may only have five, but then when the game does really well, they want to come up yes. with more. Um, that is my issue. So, yeah, we you yeah. mentioned our it's disagreements. My, my opinions have changed slightly over time, I think. I'm less against stretch goals. Like, in the example that you gave, it's like, there's this big crazy game, here's stretch goals to make things cooler. You know, I think about Flamecraft, and it's like, you know, I... And it's been a while since I looked at the campaign, but I got the vibe that they were, you know, a younger, scrappier company, and they literally would not be able to afford the Cool Dragon minis unless they made a certain amount of money. And it's like, that's something I can respect, for sure. I am 
very cranky about stretch goals that just go on forever. Uh, and mm -hmm. I know a few companies that do that where it's like our business model is to come up with infinite stretch goals and we want to sign games where we can have infinite stretch goals to feed into that. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I don't want to sign my game to you because I don't like that at all. Um, right, right. And my games don't really fit into that system. Mm -hmm. um, so that that is the, to be more precise, that is the thing that I super dislike. And you know what gets around that is making your games yourself in weird DIY ways. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Hey, I want to make sure that. that we get onto this, uh, some of the other ideas here uh, that we yeah. talked about, because uh, we've already been talking for a long time, because it's us. Because um, it's us. Can you tell us a bit about the zine thing you're working on? <gasps> the and then I would love to hear some thing. more from Zoe, too, about what it is working on. Yeah, so uh, Connor Wake and I are, uh, so this is Connor's baby, and he invited me on as a co-designer, because this is a two-player game that he anticipated me being excited about, um, but I don't think anyone, including me, could have anticipated exactly how excited I am about it. It's so... I've, I've noticed, based oh on my God. I made all this! <laughs> I made, uh, I accidentally made 28 new maps this week. Oops, um... So, yes, so this is Hedges Amazing is the working title, Amazing. Uh, and I came up with the tagline recently. It is a wizard's duel of passive-aggressive gardening. So here is the plot. It's a two-player game. It's a two-player game. Uh, and it uh, the, the thing that is closest, there's this game called, uh, I think it was just called Boxes or Squares that you play as a kid, and you just have, like, a grid of dots. Dots and, and boxes. You, dots and boxes, yeah, and you just, like, draw little boxes. So it's... Uh, so picture that, except it's, uh, you know, there's a, it's more of a game. Um, so the way it works is that you have a grid of squares, and there's a bunch of little tiles, like uh, on the squares, a bunch of little circles that are one of two different vegetables. So one player is the pumpkin amancer, and the other is the mushroom mage, and the two have to share garden space, and they hate each other. And so what you're <laughs> trying to do is you have to draw lines which represent hedges that you are summoning up with your magic, and you're trying to make the shortest path that loops between all of your vegetables, so you it, it takes you less time to do a guy like a a little walking tour of your part of the garden, uh, and increase the length of the path between your opponent's vegetables. Right, so I'm trying to get like put hedges in your way, so you have to like go around these goofy corners to like get to your next mushroom uh so it takes you more squares to walk around and whoever has the shorter path will win that maze what we're gonna do is make this in a zine format which is honestly more like a, a big thick book and there's gonna be tons and tons of maps because there are so many different setups we can use just with like all right you have three pumpkins, make the shortest loop between the three. And then this next map might be bigger and have obstacles, and there are five pumpkins, and you have to choose four and make a loop between them, and you can ignore one of the five. Mm -hmm. um, the other big thing is that you can't ever totally close off something, because you can't draw a line between like the ends of two lines, and the whole outer ring counts as a line. So you can make a dead end if you... like draw a hard, well i won't go into all the rules but anyway there will always be a way out somehow it's just a matter of increasing the length of time it takes to walk between the vegetables and there's all different kinds of goofy things like eventually uh, things will be added that are gates and instead of making a loop you have to walk in one gate 
go to all your vegetables and walk out the other gate. So it changes how pathing works. Um, later on, there's a, you know, you can cast spells, uh, which are little tiles that you draw and they have different effects on the map. Like you can only exit out of the direction the wind is blowing on the wind spell. With the fire spell, you can walk through all the hedges because all the hedges burn down. Um, stuff like that. Uh, eventually there's a rocket ship. And if you step on the rocket ship, your path is increased by 99 because you get blasted off into space. And that makes <laughs> you take a lot longer to walk between all of your vegetables because uh, you have to get back from space. Um, so what we are planning on doing is having this just be a little made in house, totally made in house. I'm going to do the little graphic design, maybe some art put together the rules. And Connor and I are both just cooking up tons of maps and just testing the maps. Um, and making a tutorial that works for people, which is something we're still working on. Uh, and then we're what we're thinking of is just having two different products, and each one is a physical book and a print and play. And one product is roughly the same size as the normal book, which is just like maps one through 100, and they grow in complexity and add mechanics over time. Um, and they're all different kinds of fun things, like, you know, maps 6 through 10 are gates, and then in map 15, it's the lightning spell and also gates and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing that I thought of is making a book and a print and play version, which is a sort of sample platter of maps where it's like a, the tutorial and then one map with gates and one map with spells and one map with a rocket ship, one map with a tower, one map with treasure. And you can just bring that around in a convention and just show it to like 20 different people and just have them all play the same maps to introduce them to the game and see if they like it. And then they can buy their own book, um, which is something that I want for myself. And then I thought it might be cool as a product. So I'm excited Sounds about fun. the game. Yeah. And I'm excited. I'm excited about it. It's so quick and so goofy. And I just love the premise so much. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just super easy. Cause you know, Connor has more details on like how the notebook itself is going to be made. Um, because he found a place where you can just make custom notebooks with like fully custom pages that are X different page counts and sizes for mm, however mm -hmm. much money. So it's similar to the Game Crafter, but for notebooks. Um, and the we're just going to. That's the yeah. website. It's notecrafter.com. Yeah, yeah. Notebook park.com. They have a thing where you build your thing. It's called Noteponent Studio. <laughs> <laughs> um. Make sure you upgrade to Noteponent Studio too, where Two. you, uh, yeah. yeah, you have to you have to write it all backwards, and then it mirrors itself when you load it, it in. Does. It um, does. That makes sense. But yeah, no, I, I'm super excited about this plan. It's it goes back to that thing of like, what are my goals as a game designer now? And I am making sure to like not feel pressure and stress regarding game design and all the things related to it. Um, I want to make games that I find fun and projects that I'm passionate about. It reminds me a lot of the, there was this quote that Matthew Hawker put in Break My Game recently. Um, it was from Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers was saying, you know, I've been thinking about all of the people that I see that are wildly successful. And the reason why they're successful, it doesn't have anything to do with them caring about worldly success or material success. It's just, they just really genuinely love what they do and they love it in front of others. And I can absolutely imagine myself after these books are made, I'm bringing that little, you know, it's like the sample platter, a bunch of different times repeated book around at conventions and just roping every single person I can find that might be interested in this game and just pulling it out and just being super jazzed. And that's the, that's the marketing for the game. That's, that's, 
that's how I've been yes. hoping to do my stuff. I uh, someday I think it will work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someday I think it will. I know. Well, you um, know, I mean, like you said before, Jamie, it's all about setting goals and understanding what your goals are, right, for a product and and for the game. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm yep. still I'm still thinking about how you could get blasted into space and then walk back, <laughs> but somehow this is a bad thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> blasted into space, not quite high enough. It's very easy to come back. <laughs> it's not going to be fun, but it's very very easy, super easy, barely an inconvenience even. That's fair. That's fair. Well, you see, it's all it, it all comes back to goals. And if your goal is to have the shortest path between all of your vegetables, getting blasted into space, space is going to make that a little tougher. <laughs> oh, my God. Just That's like... still one of my favorite gifts, and I try to use it whenever I can. Tim Curry saying space. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would just be like, well... Screw those vegetables. I'm in space now. This is All my right. new life. Nope, well, you have lost that round, and we'll see how the 99 go. <laughs> um, yeah, one of, one of the things about it is that we're discussing different, like, victory methods. So there's different chapters, right? So maybe, like, the first six maps are the first chapter, and there's no special mechanics yet. And you maybe tally up all your scores across all the things, and then the final score is who wins the chapter. Um, For things like the rocket ship, instead of calculating the specific score because the rocket ship will throw everything off, it's just who won the map or not, they get a check mark, and then you see who got however many check marks in that chapter. And so there's there's just infinite, like, fun little things we can do to add to this very simple core formula that's actually, Mm -hmm. like, also cool and strategic that I'm super, super excited about. And that's why I, I sometimes will show up to the weekly meetup and say I accidentally made 30 more maps. Oops. So Zoe, tell, tell us some more about some oddball stuff you want to do. I mean oddball <laughs> in a good way. I mean oddball in a bad way, and that's probably more endearing. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing you. <laughs> I... I... I've been racing to finish developing two projects at the same time, um, mm. like both bread and conviction. Um, at, at first, I thought conviction was closer to being ready, but now it's looking like bread. But mm. um, well, we'll see how it lands. I we, earlier we were talking about conviction and how the rules were on the hook box, and I've decided to completely change that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I the it, people. It was just. The game is complex enough, despite being an 18 card game, that I feel like it needs a little bit more room to breathe and have like pictures and stuff to help people through it. So mm-hmm. I put the rules on Folio and I changed the rule box into a play area that gives a bit more flavor to different mm. parts of the game. That's cool. My my hope because like people, uh, some of the some of the feedback I've been getting is that players either seem to go into it from a very mechanical angle. Um, or um, uh, wishing that there is a bit more like role-playing or theme going on with it, or other people go into it and they see a role-playing game and they like enact that and have a good engaging mm. experience with it. So mm. I'm hoping the play area kind of gives them more tools to engage with it in that way. Um, but it still needs to be tested. I, I went from like like final development to like back to play testing, like design stuff. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> the endless cycle. Yep. The endless cycle. Yep. Yeah. 
I, goes I back almost... to that, uh, that thing about your game is never done. At some point, you just have to decide to stop working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I fear bread may win the race, even though Conviction's been like, I feel like done for like almost like for like over a year. <laughs> mm. <laughs> hmm. Tricky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Good luck. I I know the the struggle of like, you know, because uh with with fight sequence I'm uh, there's a little funny thing going on with fight sequence where uh, you know I've been working on it for seven years at this point and it feels a little stalled out and I really want to keep working on it and there's some weird stuff going on and it's just like will I ever will this game ever be done please can I get mm-hmm. it out in into the world I'm ready. I feel like yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I, so. I, I, I do feel like I just need to like, like I, I joke all the time. I need a co-designer that's just like somebody with a baseball bat behind me, ready <laughs> to like slug me whenever <laughs> I start going off the rails. And like, sometimes I'm, I'm real tempted to hire that. Like, we should that, never that work slugger. together, Zoe, unless there's a third person that is that person because I need that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons I co-design is because co-designers keep me honest of like continuing to push forward on stuff you know also yeah. they help me from not you know stealing jamie has a right, yeah. towel holder i mean it is yeah. metal but i i love that you immediately knew what this was in my hand yes. <laughs> how can you not it's got the it's got the the circle on the bottom the central spike and then the little side flap that my my daughter was like what is this even for and nothing I like, it's yeah for i was nothing. like here's it what it's supposed do to do she's like it doesn't do that and i was like i know it's not so, I don't know the only way to do it would be that. to make it sharp. Uh, probably the originals were sharp. That's my guess. Mm. And then people got like cut and they were like, stop doing that. And they were like, well, we have to put this on here. Um, you know, <laughs> it's um, forced. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I, uh, I you know. know what it's actually for is uh, the idea is that you put the, like the loose part, you put it behind here. So it doesn't mm-hmm. just like unravel yeah, or blow away. Yeah. yeah. In what world like, are you in space? Is it anti-gravity? Why would your paper towel roll dig? Did you store it sideways? Like, I don't yeah, yeah. understand. My, I hook mine on the wall. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you do that, then, you know what? It's funny because the ones that are made to hold it, like, on the wall, like a toilet paper style, you know, rod, those yeah. don't have that. And guess they what? Don't. It doesn't unroll. It does not unroll. So, um, this is, these are problems. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, we deep dove into this at the very end because me too me what, too this is what we needed to close in on in my opinion i agree with you any <laughs> other uh any other final thoughts that we have here um i think ultimately it's just uh remember that there are many many ways to get your game out there and mm-hmm. your goals and what you are and are not cool with compromising on are what going to do determine that and don't feel like you have to do all those kickstarter things and spend all that time and money doing those things if you don't want to because you don't have to right it's true um do you all this has been super cool uh but do you all want to throw out some contact info if you have any jamie has zero go to the discord uh, (laughs) sum that up for them (laughs) yeah what about you zoe Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I'm in the the building the game discord. And if you 
want to hear more about my projects, of which there's now a bunch, just let me know and I can link you to my personal Discord. Well, my company. You know what I mean. You're not BTG Discord. Yes, my server. How about you, Zoe? Um, you can find all my stuff on my website, knifebunny.com. Um, I'm pretty mostly active on Discord. I'm starting to think that I'm more active on YouTube than I am on like Blue Sky. <laughs> like <laughs> But um yeah, that's that's knifebunny.com, you'll find the links to all my nonsense. It's funny, I'm actually more active on YouTube than Blue Sky as well. Um, and I don't use YouTube. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have a blue sky account. I just have never used it. I may have followers even, or whatever they call them. Fun. I, yeah, that reminds me, I've had (laughs) rainbow dot games for like 9,000 years. And two years ago, I planned a big, cool redesign that I never did. I abandoned it like my mailing list and stuff. I should probably look at that because right now it only talks about a single game. And it's out there, so like people can find okay. it. So, and you just gave the uh, the website. So yeah. triple rainbow dot games. You can see the old under construction version of my website, but mm-hmm. it does have a link to the Discord server, which is where I'm active. Ta da! Ta da! <laughs> well, hey listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we talked a lot about the Discord server. You should come join the Discord server. Give us your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always are interested in in feedback, but also. In this case, I would love to hear people's other suggestions on different paths to publishing and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. think that there are so many ideas, uh, and I want to hear them all uh, so I can steal them uh, and Same. not do them mm-hmm. myself, even though I'll plan to. Um, <laughs> but uh, we do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, go to buildinggamepodcast.com. There you can find a link to our Discord. You can also uh, email us at buildinggamepodcast.gmail.com, or you can keep coming back every single week. And until next time, good night. Oh, you're swimming aside. Bye-bye. Building a game, building a game, with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building a game, building a game, with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.